Before we get started today, I want to say thanks to a few of my listeners who took the time to leave me a five-star rating and review. Archie Paul, Per Mays, Clifster Wister, Mrs. Cook 429, Gabe in Texas, and Dee's Boots. Thank you. Your feedback is much appreciated. If the rest of you guys are enjoying the podcast, please take some time to go rate the podcast and maybe leave me a little review while you're there. A little can go a long way. On another quick note, I'd like to go ahead and apologize for the quality of some of today's audio, especially the interview. Some of the same technology that makes this podcast possible is also the technology that has a mind of its own sometimes. And now on with the show. The following podcast contains some pretty profane language and graphic descriptions of violence. It is definitely not suited for all listeners. Don't say I didn't warn you. The territory known as Texas has gone through many hands and empires. It's the only state in our union to serve under six flags, Spain, France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas, the Confederacy, and the United States. And it's the only state in the union to go through eight changes in government. And none of those came without a fight. The Native Americans first inhabited the area until European explorers arrived and claimed the territory in the name of Spain. The Spanish developed missions, which became the first cities of Texas. Right in the middle of colonization, though, Mexico won its independence from Spain and took Texas along with it. As a Mexican state, Texas didn't really contribute very much economically, so the Mexican government wasn't too concerned with providing any defense for any of the Texans. The settlers were often left on their own to fend for themselves. So Texans wanted their independence from Mexico. The Texas Revolution broke out, and with the help from Sam Houston, they won. The result of that victory was a newly independent Republic of Texas. But as time went on, Texas was unable to defend itself from further attacks by Mexican troops and eventually negotiated with the United States to become the 28th state to join the Union in 1845. This sent the Mexican government over the edge and sparked the Mexican-American War that lasted until 1848. But in the 1850s, Comanche raids on the Texas frontier began to escalate as settlers intruded further into their lands. Afterwards, the rights to Texas went back and forth as they were contingent on what was transpiring during the Civil War. It was the seventh state to secede, and then it returned to the Union. So needless to say... The need to protect oneself is a feeling that runs deep in Texas history. Many people believe Texas survived because Texans armed themselves. We protect our own. We always have. I can only assume that perhaps it's this historical need to protect oneself and one's property that's behind some of the country's most relaxed gun laws. Like the U.S. Constitution, the Texas Constitution enshrines the gun rights of Texans. Article 1, Section 23 states, Every citizen shall have the right to keep and bear arms in the lawful defense of himself or the state. But the legislature shall have power by law to regulate the wearing of arms with a view to prevent crime. Currently, 
legislature allows Texans to carry their weapons openly, if appropriately holstered. The basis for Texas gun laws is the castle doctrine, which is a concept that comes from the old English philosophy that every person is the king or queen of their home, and there is never need for the monarch of the kingdom to flee the castle before using force against an unlawful intruder. Section 9 of the Texas Penal Code is where you'll find the laws that pertain to the use of deadly force. Under this section, there's not a whole lot required to shoot somebody in self-defense. You only have to believe that the deadly force was immediately necessary, and that belief needs to be reasonable, by the way. You have to be in a place where you have the right to be. You don't get to provoke another person and then shoot them. And you can't be engaged in any type of criminal activity yourself when you use that deadly force. So, for example, a homeowner in his home does not have a duty to retreat and can, and I can almost guarantee will, use deadly force to protect him or herself against harm. The castle doctrine itself is not necessarily unique to Texas. What is unique to Texas is that our castle doctrine extends beyond the castle to include a citizen's vehicle and workplace. And Texas law also tells us that if ever faced with a situation where you have to use deadly force to protect yourself or another person, as long as your use of deadly force is justified under those circumstances we just talked about, there's no duty to retreat. None whatsoever even if you could have avoided the entire confrontation by just backing off or running away, you don't have to. It's almost like you can't go wrong if you shoot someone in Texas, if you simply claim self-defense. Except that you can. And in the early hours of the morning of May 2nd, 2010, retired Houston firefighter Raul Rodriguez went all kinds of wrong. I'm Krista, and you're listening to Episode 4 of Lone Star Law and Disorder. In 2010, Kelly Danaher was 36 years old. He was an elementary school PE teacher at Sorters Elementary School located in New Caney School District. By all accounts, he was a loving father to his daughter, Perry, and he was great at his job. Neighbors said they would see him almost every day walking with his little girl, and students and fellow teachers said his students all just loved him. He had strong morals and strong family values, and he always put other people before himself. Kelly set down roots in Huffman, Texas, where his wife Mindy had grown up. Huffman is about 30 miles northeast of Houston. It's a relatively small, unincorporated community consisting largely of subdivisions, scattered farms, apartments, and small businesses. It only has about 12,000 people. Kelly's neighborhood in particular was made up of people who had moved there to escape the city for more space, a slower lifestyle, and a little peace and quiet. It consisted of spacious lots with good acreage, plenty of room to be comfortable, but not so much as to feel isolated. May 1st was supposed to be a day of celebration at Kelly's home. And indeed, it started out that way. Kelly was throwing a party. Two parties, to be exact. 
One party would turn into another as he celebrated the birthdays of both his wife and his daughter. But for Kelly, what started out as a day of celebration would only end in tragedy. And for his friends Ricky Johnson and Marshall Stetson, it would end in a fight for their lives. Because all day long, just down the street, something had been brewing. Increasingly agitated by the music being played at the Danaher's house, Raul Rodriguez placed several calls to law enforcement. Harris County Constable Michael Price said that their office had received an anonymous noise complaint somewhere between 7 and 8 p.m. on May 1st. Sound does tend to carry more easily in a rural neighborhood like the Danaher's than in a more densely populated area, so he drove on out to the home to investigate. Constable Price didn't hear any loud music when he pulled up by the home's driveway, so he determined that the complaint was unfounded and returned to his routine. Around 9 p.m., they received a second noise complaint. Constable Price drove out to the home once again and met with the homeowner this time. He described the noise as faint and not really worthy of citation. He simply instructed the homeowner to point the speakers in a different direction. The homeowner cooperated, and Constable Price figured that would be the end of that. But it wasn't going to be a slow night for local law enforcement. Little did he know that they would be called out to the Danaher home for a third time that night for something far worse than a little noise pollution. By about 11.30 p.m., Raul Rodriguez decided he'd had enough. The police responded to his calls but never asked the Danahers to end the party. He was going to take things into his own hands. And he was going to get evidence that the Danahers were partying far too hard. Armed with a video camera, a gun, and his cell phone, Raul Rodriguez made his way to the Danaher's driveway and began recording the party. That recording would soon become the center of a case that caught the nation's attention and challenged when you can and when you can't kill someone in Texas. If you were to watch just the last couple of minutes of the video, it might seem like Rodriguez was justified in discharging his firearm after the three men charged him. Oh, hang on, wait. Please step back. Please step back. At the time of the shooting, Rodriguez is talking to police. Look, I'm not losing with these people anymore. I'm just going to just tell them to stay back when they come. They're drunk. They're <laughs> the exact thing that happens after is hard to tell because the camera's dropped. The tape stops as Rodriguez is knocked to the ground. But Marshall Stetson, in his first interview ever to the public, is going to take us to the other side of that camera. Because what you wouldn't see in the last few minutes is approximately 20 minutes of video showing Rodriguez leave his property with his handgun, trespass on his neighbor's property, and bait and threaten the neighbors at their own home, mind you, by flashing his pistol around. Uh, we was having a birthday party for uh, their daughter. She just turned three. And then uh, 
when it got dark, it was time to put the kids in. And then we had a birthday party for Mindy. And they were doing karaoke, and we were playing cornhole and, you know, talking and drinking. But <clears throat> that's about it. There's cops coming. Said the neighbor called and said the music was too loud. And then cops said the music wasn't loud. He said he sat down there at the end of the driveway and never even heard the music. And then he pulled in and talked to us and asked me sure, you know, we don't get no louder than that. We said, yes, sir. And then uh, later on that night, me and Kelly was talking and, and uh, we seen a flashlight at the end of the driveway. So we walked down there. And Much of the video consists of Rodriguez filming the party from across the street where he was standing on the side of the road, commenting about the noise level and shining a flashlight in the direction of the party. That's more than 85 decibels. I'm 200 feet away. He started filming when he left his house. So he filmed for 22 minutes. Yes, sir. This is Earl Rodriguez again. I called earlier. James Storm, Mindy Danaher's father, pulls up in a truck. I'm a neighbor down here. I'm asking you to turn it down. I've told y'all to turn it down. You're coming nothing. over here with a truck. I don't hear nothing. Well, I've got it recorded anyway. Well, it doesn't matter to me. It matters to me. It matters to me. Storm and Rodriguez argue for a few moments about the noise level. Yeah, well, then go on down the I ain't going nowhere. And eventually, several partygoers approach them. Because they were shining a flashlight, and it's like, uh, they just kept shining at us, so we walked down there and see what it was. We thought it was the cops. That's what we thought it was. And when we get down there, he just goes crazy. You need to stop right there. Don't come any closer, please. I'm telling you. Kelly continues to walk across the road, and several partygoers are following behind him. When Rodriguez yells, I said, stop right now or I will shoot you. Stop! Get back! Kelly can be seen backing away from Rodriguez with his hands up in the air. Uh, Y'all are great. Get away from me! Get away from me! Uh, yeah, you, I told you to stop. I'm in, am I life's in danger? We walk down at the end of the driveway. We get to the end of the driveway. He throws a gun on us and says, get back. The, the one right beside him was in the black shirt and the britches was me. And, you know, both of us threw our hands up. And, well, and we figured you one got the gun, not us, you know. And we asked who he was and all that, and he said, don't worry about who he was. You got weapons on you? Stay away from me? He's over here cussing at me and hollering? Hey, I promise you right now. James Storm tells partygoers to call the police. Yeah, call the cops on this off. He's down here out in the middle of the street with a gun. I got on the phone to the uh, 911 operator. They sent me to Chambers County, one is Harris County, so I had to transfer to Harris County, get to Harris County, then sitting there for a while, and I talk, was talking to them on the phone. I walked behind a truck to talk to them on the phone, and then uh, I was walking back to the driveway, and it was me, Kelly, Ricky, and me, it was a bunch of us there again, and we were sitting there, and he just kept saying he was fear of his life, fear of his life, he's gonna do something. And we were, shoot, we was 15, 20 foot away from him. And I says, look, I'm videotaping all this right now. You know, and, and uh, so I'm running the video camera right now. And I'm talking to you, and I mean, I'm scared to death what, here. Pal, you just pulled a gun on the wrong motherfucker, okay? You hear what they're saying? You remember right. that. Right, well, y'all just need to keep it down. No, we ain't got to keep down shit. Yeah, you do. Keep what it you down. Need to do is get your ass away from here. You need to you keep it down. Me off. You need to keep it down. See, 
Because when I go in that house and I come back, don't think I won't be equal to you, baby. Well, on the video, I don't remember that, but on the video, he said, we'll, I'll go in the house and we'll get even. But he just tore up. And... The truck that's partially illuminating the shot is pulled into the driveway. I'm going to have to defend myself. I'm going to have to defend myself. I'm going to have to defend myself. Oh, shit. Uh, Mandy's dad pulled the truck up, went to the driveway. None of us did anything. So we was all sitting there waiting. I was on the phone with the cops, trying to get the cops there. You know, the common situation, but still on the phone with the cops when he shot. You know, he, he could have left. Nobody messed with him, and that's what we told him. Just go back home and leave us alone. And he just, he never would retreat. He had his gun the whole time. The only time he put the gun up, he put it up one time. And he called the cops. And it all started over them playing their music real loud. And I've asked y'all and asked y'all to please don't do. Why? Why this late? It's about to get out of hand, sir. Please help me. Please help me, sir. My life is in danger now. Kelly and Marshall's friend, Ricky Johnson, made a series of movements, including waving his arms and laughing. Ricky testified that he'd had quite a bit to drink that day. We all know that alcohol can make us take situations a little less seriously than we should. So when he walked to the end of the driveway, Rodriguez told him, if you take two more steps, I'll shoot. Please step back. And Ricky, he thought it was funny. Ricky's just a funny guy. Really, yes, he always making people laugh. And that's what he thought. You know, Ricky did his, he below his joke thing, started laughing at him and then. Ricky admitted that he took those two steps. No, 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 he's videoing. He thinks he's Moments later, wild laughter can be heard, and just seconds after, a shot is fired. Look, I'm not losing with these people anymore. I'm just going to just tell them to stay back when they come. They're drunk. (laughs) All in all, Raul Rodriguez would shoot three times and hit three people. Marshall Stetson and Ricky Johnson were seriously injured. When I threw my leg up, I guess I was in that angle and he shot through my leg and went straight up my bone and went out my back. I was off work for a little bit over a month. And as for Kelly Danaher? Kelly Danaher died that night as a result of multiple gunshot wounds. The first entered his right chest and perforated his lung, and the second entered his right thigh. I watched Ricky, he fell all the way across the street. He stumbled all the way across the street and landed in the ditch. And the next thing I know, I remember, I was on the phone with the 911 operator still. I don't know how I got to that guy with the gun and don't remember him shooting me. I remember him pulling a gun at my way and I kicked at it. And then we fell in the ditch, wrestling around. I got the gun away from him. And then Mindy's dad come over and another guy come over and they held him down told me I was shot. And I crawled over to Ricky, check on Ricky, because that's the only one I seen shot. And then uh, Mindy come over, and then she was hollering my name. And then she was hollering her husband's name, Kelly. And then that's when we found out Kelly was shot. And, and she uh, we sat there for, I don't know, 35 minutes before the cops even showed After what seemed like forever, the police arrived. Marshall and Mindy's dad were still struggling to hold Rodriguez down. He was biting me. He, he bit my fingers. He, 
He bit my leg. He bit my my chest. He bit my leg twice, my chest, my fingers. I thought he was going to bite my fingers off. He had a gun when we was wrestling in my stomach the whole time. So I guess when I, I kicked up and I grabbed a gun with my hand, I jammed the gun. Rodriguez told officers that he was defending himself from the men who he believed were armed. But the only weapon recovered from the scene was Rodriguez's. That ain't self-defense. And you ain't at your house either, and you ain't on property. You wasn't protecting nothing. Uh, and I know he had extra clip in his back pocket, you know. So who knows? Was he down there to shoot us all? Or, or uh, then, then, he, then he said he we was keeping his wife up that had cancer. And, and when the cops went to his house after that, they had to go wake her up. The TV was on real loud. So how was we keeping her up? I don't, I really don't know. I think he just, he was looking for something. Raul Rodriguez was arrested and taken into custody. Texas gun laws is a castle doctrine. It's not stand your ground, not in Texas. We're back in, it wasn't. And you protect your property. That's your car. That's your house. That's not in the middle of the street when you're provoking stuff. You know, I believe you should carry a gun. You know, you protect your family. That's all you're supposed to do, protect your family and your property. You don't go looking for it. That's all you're supposed to do. Some people take it too much. In 2012, Rodriguez was put on trial. The first trial, was, it was hard. It was really hard just to, to see everything, you know, again. It, it was... Uh, Happened on what May second, two thousand ten. Then the trial didn't start till uh, I think February of two thousand twelve. So it was just bringing everything back up. Five partygoers testified at the trial. In sum, they all testified that the party was winding down when they noticed a flashlight on the road. They walked to the end of the road and found Mindy's dad and Rodriguez arguing. They all acknowledged that Ricky had stepped into the road and waved his arms and laughed loudly seconds before Rodriguez fired. But they all maintained that no one, not even Ricky, crossed the center line of the road before Rodriguez fired. James Taylor was one of those partygoers, and he was one of Kelly's best friends. He testified that no one had been talking about rushing Rodriguez or taking the gun away from him, but he also acknowledged that Ricky had in fact walked toward Rodriguez at a pretty fast pace while waving his hands in the air and laughing. He was acting stupid and goofing off for the camera. And maybe he was going to try to get the gun from Rodriguez. Who knows? Kelly moved forward towards Ricky to stop him. And Tyler moved forward to try to stop Kelly. But it was too late. Kelly had already been shot. Kelly's father-in-law, James Storm, testified too. He testified that around midnight, he saw someone standing in the road and stopped. When Kelly finally came down from the house, he walked toward Rodriguez to talk to him. And that's when Rodriguez drew his gun. No one at that time was being threatening or aggressive. But Rodriguez kept saying he was in fear for his life. Storm couldn't figure out what he was in fear of. He decided to pull his truck up in the driveway when the police were called because he figured everyone was going to let the police handle the situation. But as he was walking across the front porch to go inside, he heard three gunshots and turned and ran back down to the road. 
Nine neighbors testified for the prosecution. They characterized Rodriguez as a neighborhood bully who was angry, aggressive, and gun-hungry, who wore his gun to the bus stop to pick up his kids, and who killed dogs that he felt were threatening and poisoned cats. Just listening to the, you know, the neighbors testify. All they said he was a shooter. He killed dogs. Uh, one neighbor, he started a fire behind a neighbor's fence and let the smoke go over in the neighbor's yard just to just to uh, do it. Put some bright lights facing the neighbor's house behind him. Uh, went over across the street to a neighbor and pulled a gun on a kid that had his radio music up too loud, uh, booming down the street, you know, so walk his kids in a straight straight line down the, down the, to the bus stop with his guns on the side. And that's what they said. Neighbor Kenneth Ellis lived across the street from Rodriguez. Ellis testified that he was just sitting down on his porch to have a beer at about 10 till midnight. He could hear the music playing at the Danaher's house. But it didn't seem that loud, and he couldn't hear it when he was inside his home. Ellis saw Rodriguez leave his home with a flashlight and walk toward the Danaher house. He seemed agitated and angry and was yelling, Shut it down! in the direction of the Danaher house. A short while later, he heard gunshots. Terry Hackathorne lived with Ellis. She testified that about two months before the incident, she'd had a conversation with Rodriguez about acquiring a license to carry a handgun. Hackathorne told Rodriguez that she didn't want to carry a gun. To that, Rodriguez responded that it would be in her benefit, because if she was ever out in public and anyone was bothering her and she needed to shoot them, she could. As long as she told authorities that she was in fear for her life and needed to defend herself and believed that the other person had weapons and had to stand her ground, she could shoot that son of a bitch. Pete Fornells actually lived between the Rodriguez and Danaher homes. He had known Kelly for about five years, and they got along just fine. Kelly had even come over the day before to the party to borrow a tool from him. Immediately after Kelly left, Rodriguez had come walking up and asked what Kelly wanted. Fornells told Rodriguez that Kelly had come over to borrow a tool, and he'd been more than happy to loan it to him. In more than a few words that I'd rather not repeat, Rodriguez basically said that he wouldn't loan that son of a bitch anything if he was dying. They were always playing loud music at night and keeping the Rodriguez's awake. Fornals testified that on the day of the party, Rodriguez had called him three times before 8 o'clock. He'd asked Fornals if he could hear all that shit coming from the Danaher's and whether Fornals would go with him to put a stop to all that shit if it kept going on. Rodriguez told Fornals that he would have his back. But Fornals didn't want to have anything to do with it. Around 8.30 p.m., Rodriguez came to Fornals' house, rambling on about all that noise and trying to talk Fornals into going down there with him. He again told Fornals that he would have his back. Fornals testified that Rodriguez seemed agitated and almost frantic. He had two handguns with him, one tucked inside the front of his pants and the other tucked into the back of his pants. Fornals could see them because they were in plain sight. Fornell said that he had agreed with Rodriguez that he should call the cops, but the sole purpose was to calm him down. A little while after that, Rodriguez called him again. He seemed really upset, because the police had gone out to the house and, according to Rodriguez, hadn't done shit. 
They drove out there, they sat there, and they drove off. Fornals testified that Rodriguez had shown up at the house again around 10.30. This time, he asked Fornals to call the police. In an effort to calm Rodriguez down, Fornals placed an anonymous call to the police to complain about the noise. He went to bed after that, but he was awakened a little while after midnight to the sound of three gunshots. He looked at his cell phone to see what time it was and saw that he had three missed calls from Rodriguez at 11.13, 12.01, and 12.11 a.m. Fornals initially looked out the window at Rodriguez's house to see if he was out there shooting his gun off like he'd done so many times before. If only that had been the case. Donna Malone testified that she'd been married to Rodriguez at the time. She testified that Rodriguez had complained about the Danaher's party all evening. He became increasingly agitated as the evening progressed and called the constable multiple times to complain. Donna said she begged him to stay inside the house before he left their home with a gun, a flashlight, and a camera around midnight, but he had just ignored her. Different people testify, even the fire department that he worked for testified against him in the first trial and the second trial. So he, uh, they called some fire department from Baytown Fire Department, whoever he worked for. I can't remember their names or it was two of them, I believe, that went on stand. And uh, they said he he was real racist. He didn't care if you was black, white, uh, Hispanic. If you was either a beaner, the N-word, uh, or uh, skinhead or a uh, honky or whatever he called us. And then both of them testified against that. They ride with him. He always was always racist against other people, no matter what race he was. A neighbor that used to live across the street from Rodriguez testified that she spoke to him about a dispute she'd had with another neighbor over her dogs. Rodriguez offered to help her out by shooting any trespassers on her property. She told him thanks, but no thanks. Rodriguez also told her that if she put purple paint on her trees, that was noticed to trespassers that the owner had a right to defend the property by shooting the trespasser. Now, Rodriguez wasn't wrong, but he wasn't right either. Under Texas Penal Code 30.05, notice of trespassing includes oral or written communication, fencing, signs posted on the property indicating that the entry is forbidden, purple paint marks on trees or posts on the property or crops for human consumption growing on the property. Texas Penal Code 9.41 allows you to use force, not deadly force, that's reasonably necessary to prevent or terminate another's trespass on your land. Rodriguez's attorneys didn't present any witnesses. They were seeking to place the burden on Danaher and the two other men who the defense claimed caused the confrontation to escalate. At trial, defense attorneys said Rodriguez, who had a concealed handgun license, was defending himself when one of the men lunged at him and he had less than a second to respond. They argued that he was acting in self-defense when three of the men had charged at him and had the right to shoot Danaher under Texas's 2007 expanded Castle Doctrine law, which eliminates the requirement to retreat before defending oneself. Oh, they was trying to say we was all drunk, uh, asking us if we jumped him, asking us uh, was we racist against him, or it was uh, it was all kinds of stuff. And, and first off, I wasn't even drunk. I drank one or two beers all day long, and uh, now Ricky was drunk, Kelly was drunk. You know, yeah, they was drunk, but I left the party. Um, about 3 o'clock that day, went to a, a retirement party, then come back when it got dark. So 
So I was driving around, so I couldn't drink. So, but they was trying to say that and uh, asked asked us uh, asked me if did uh, I fight with him? I said yeah. After he shot me, and after I didn't know, and, you know, I didn't know he shot me till afterwards, but. Did I grab a gun? I said, yeah. Are we going to find your, find your prints on the gun? I said, yeah. I said, on the trigger, too, because I tried. You know, it was, and the gun wasn't cute, so I, it was just God saving me. prosecution, however, argued that Rodriguez did not qualify for the no-duty-to-retreat statute. She told the jury that self-defense was never meant to protect the one that started the fight. Texas Penal Code Section 9.31a provides that a person is justified in using force against another when and to the degree the actor reasonably believes force is immediately necessary to protect the actor against the other's use of unlawful force. Penal Code Section 9.31b5a qualifies this defense. It states that the use of force against another is not justified if the actor sought an explanation from or discussion with the other person concerning the actor's differences with the other person while the actor was carrying a weapon in violation of 46.02. Now, a person violates 46.02 of the penal code if he or she intentionally, knowingly, or recklessly carries on or about his person a handgun, illegal knife, or club if the person is not, one, on the person's own premises, or premises under the person's control, or two, inside of or directly en route to a motor vehicle or watercraft that is owned by the person or under the person's control. That's what we call our travel exception. But 46.02 doesn't apply to a person who's carrying a concealed handgun and a valid CHL, which stands for a concealed handgun license. In 2010, the law did not allow for open carry. All firearms had to be properly concealed. Detective Brown and Marshall Stetson Both testified that Rodriguez had a holster on his belt. He wasn't wearing a jacket, and his shirt was tucked in. In this case, Rodriguez intentionally failed to conceal his handguns. Rodriguez had no right to self-defense because he armed himself, sought an explanation, and did not retreat. Because he armed himself, because he went down the road to seek an explanation, and because he didn't abandon his efforts to get an answer out of Kelly, he has no right to self-defense. He has no right to the no-duty-to-retreat law. During her closing arguments, Assistant District Attorney Kelly Johnson told jurors, This case is about provocation, pure and simple. The law doesn't allow you to create a situation and then claim self-defense. In the end, jurors sided with the prosecution, returning a guilty verdict after only about 90 minutes of deliberation. The jury rejected Rodriguez's claim that he had the legal right to stand his ground and use deadly force to defend himself and sentenced him to 40 years in prison. Yeah, I thought it was, it was a little bit, but it wasn't enough to me. And even Ricky stayed in the hospital for so long, and they kept the guy in jail just to wait and see if Ricky dies. If he dies, it'd been capital murder. That wasn't to me. It should be capital murder as soon as you kill somebody. To me, he planned everything. So if you did it on purpose, it should be capital murder.
but two years later, an appeals court overturned the conviction on the grounds that the first jury was given confusing instructions. Houston's first court of appeals said the jury's instructions on the law on self-defense were so confusing that Rodriguez did not get a fair trial. My aunt texts me, and she's like a spy, I guess, whatever you want to call it. She looks at everything. She can find out anything about anybody. She's good, though. And then she texts me and told me that he, he's out. And I said, what? So I called the DA, and uh, they, they didn't even know it yet. So if you're a victim, you should know everything to me. But they never told her. And that's how I found out. Now, shoot, I think it was on a Sunday. If I remember right, it was on Sunday night. My aunt called and told me he's out. I said, for what? And the trial. So he was out for another two years or three years. can't remember what. It was 2015, I think, we did the trial again. So, so he was out running the streets for then. Now he had an ankle bracelet on or whatever he had on. Rodriguez's defense attorney was quoted saying, At the heart of our criminal justice system is the right to a fair trial. Raul was denied this right due to incorrect jury instructions. Now Raul will have the chance to have a fair day in court. And so began the trial process all over again. And uh, it just brought it right back up. I was, I was doing good. My dreams went away. And then they came right back. So... It was like, man, you just can't win for losing. It was going to go away and then come right back. And again, the jury rejected Rodriguez's claim that he had a legal right to stand his ground and use deadly force to defend himself. A second jury also found Rodriguez guilty of murder, but this time sentenced him to life in prison. He got what he deserved. And I, I just got, well, the other day, I got a, a message from his ex-wife saying, he lost his last appeal. He been there for eighty to he's eighty-seven, I think, years old. So that was last week, I think. So maybe Raul Rodriguez went looking for a little trouble, and things just got out of hand. Or maybe he went looking for a lot of trouble, and things went exactly the way he hoped they would. It's a two-sided issue with a ton of gray in between. The only thing that's black and white with no in-between is that Kelly Danaher is dead because of the actions of Raul Rodriguez. Because Raul Rodriguez wanted to make a point. Because Raul Rodriguez wouldn't just leave like they asked him to. Kelly was a good guy. Every time you talked to him, he was always respectful, always talked to everybody. You know, he, he never had an enemy, not since I know him again. Although their stories had very different endings, Ricky Johnson and Marshall Stetson were victims too. They suffered too. They watched their friend die in his own driveway while they lay there bleeding and wounded too. There's no telling what an experience like that can have on someone's psyche. There's no telling what kind of ailments they live with to this day. I asked Marshall what effects that experience has had on him, both emotionally and physically. Emotionally, the dreams have faded, they've become fewer and farther between, and he's begun to heal. 
while there. I do every night, over and over about the shooting. And then you know, every day you sitting there and trying to think of the whole shooting. But you, I still can't remember parts. It could have been me, it could have been Ricky, it could have been one of the women that was there. You know, it could have been a kid behind us that walked up behind us we didn't know about. You know, it just, yeah, you know, he was shooting that away towards the house. So, you know, it was like, you didn't know nothing. It could have been me, you know. I'm glad I would. It wasn't me. The guy was with me on that night, I guarantee you. He was Ricky, too. He was with Kelly. You know, he just took Kelly. Kelly was a good guy. He mean Kelly, I guess. Physically, I asked Marshall how his injuries still affect him today. Marshall took a bullet through the back of his leg that exited through his back. Try and picture that. I can't. He was down for the count for over a month. I know with an injury like that, there's no way he doesn't still suffer some kind of side effect on a pretty regular basis. But true to Texans, he answered simply, Yeah, a little bit, but I can live with it. Before we part ways this week, I want to say a special thank you to Marshall. As I mentioned earlier, this was Marshall's first public interview, and that was mainly by his choice. But I wouldn't have been able to cover this story in my style without him. So thank you, Marshall. Thank you for trusting me with your story. I was honored to tell it. That's all for this episode of Lone Star Law and Disorder. You guys can find me on Twitter at Lone Star Law Pod. And now you can find me on Facebook on the new Lone Star Law and Disorder discussion page. Join the page and join the conversation. See you next time.